0: Uh.
1: Be kind, choose joy, laugh a lot. Be kind, Be kind, kind
0: choose joy, laugh a lot. Cast up roll things, little food for your soul. Things. Life ain't always pretty, but hey, it's pretty beautiful things. Life a little more things. Tight, tighten up because so. it with four things. With Amy Brown. Happy Thursday, four things. I'm Amy, and my guest today is my friend, Laura Lee Bryant, who's also known as Laura Lee Balanced online, and she's been on the podcast before. She's a certified chef, published cookbook author, and health and well-being consultant, and she's very passionate about helping others through breakups so much so that her brand-new cookbook is for people that are grieving the loss of a relationship, and she's added Heartache Consultant to her resume. So, Laura Lee, I want to start there with what is Heartache Consultant? What does that mean?
1: So, really what I do is I specialize in the interim between, you know, the relationship problems happen, then a breakup or divorce happens, and then eventually someone typically gets in a new relationship— And so there are relationship coaches and I am not that. I am someone who specifically helps women in the actual breakup phase to heal from a breakup or divorce, create a lot of peace and clarity, stop the looping obsessive thoughts and become their healthiest self to kind of then send them back off into the dating world.
0: So last time you were on the podcast, I was going through my divorce, but it wasn't public yet. so you know, we weren't talking about it. I mean, you and I did off the mic, but I appreciated the advice that you were sharing on, on what our bodies need or don't need when we're grieving. Anything really, but especially that type of loss because I didn't have much of an appetite, but I knew I needed nourishment and I was more aware of what I was eating after we talked, you know, making sure that I was giving my body what it needed to feel better, not worse.
1: Totally. Yeah, I know. I like to think of it as sort of like nutritionally supportive rather than, you know, good or bad or right or wrong. But you're, you're so right that some people don't need that next level of support. Some people can kind of navigate that time on their own where they don't have as much of an appetite and then they have a little bit more of an appetite where the sugar cravings hit and all of that. But some people really do need a next level of support because as you also mentioned, you know, what we experience after a really difficult relationship is usually not isolated to that breakup or divorce. It's the analogy I use is it's like a watercolor, all of our relationship, including family relationships, they kind of bleed into each other. And it may be a, only a teeny tiny bit of that color left in what you're currently navigating, but they're all related. And so, you know, you may be mourning this particular relationship, but that's also going to be including some of the stuff that's residual from, little pieces left over from your past. And so that's when I tend to find when that gets really sticky and tricky for people and they can't, they're having a reaction that maybe is disproportionate to the actual breakup or divorce itself. Then that's kind of where I come in. Yeah. You went
0: through your own journey, learning how to heal, like really heal. I know you put in the work for that for sure. So after you gained all this knowledge and you realized, oh, wow, there's a transformation here. Like I could really come alongside and help other people heal with all that I've learned.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, very much like what I was just saying, I went through a divorce five and a half years ago. And I think that I equated knowing that it was the right thing, quote, right thing for me with being healed from it. So I didn't really dive into the grief and I just sort of masked it with busyness And then because I hadn't done that work, I attracted relationships that were just not the right fit for me and ended up just in the lowest of lows after a breakup in the spring or really winter of 2021. And it was a very humbling experience because I didn't have an appetite for any of my own food. None of my own recipes even sounded good. They just weren't even possible. I just could barely make a smoothie like, you know, you were talking about. And so that was the first time where I started to see that what we need during grief is so specific and so different than what we need at other times of our life and really deserves that kind of honor and attention. And that's when I, I just was, I wasn't going to do this to myself again. And I could also tell that my brain was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And I had a relationship coach who was fantastic and taught me some of these mindset tools. But I knew that I needed a lot more than that because it's a lifestyle shift. You go from cooking for multiple people to cooking for one. You have all of the drama around that. You have the drama around what it means for you financially, logistically. And so I needed a bigger protocol of, of resources to help myself. And then I spent two years studying that and working on that and then started working with clients and you know, this book is really the result of that.
0: Which it's your latest cookbook and it's called Recipes for an Aching Heart, Healthy and Easy Meals to Help You Heal from Grief, Loss or the Stress of Everyday Life. So what I love about it is, yes, it came from a place of breakup and heartache for you, but anybody can tap into this even if they're just having a stressful day. It doesn't have to be a divorce, a breakup, a death, anything like that.
1: Yeah, because psychologically and physiologically, it's not that different. There are unique things about particularly when you get into the science of romantic rejection, which is really just how your body perceives the breakup or the divorce. Even if you were the person to initiate it, you can still kind of perceive it as a rejection. But other than that, you know, physiologically, it's it's a very similar response to when we're super stressed out. So, you know, in the wellness world, you hear this idea that kale is a kale salad is like the healthy thing to eat. You know, we kind of put something like that on a pedestal, but that's really not something that I would recommend to someone during a stressful time. And then we see all these, you know, fabulous gourmet dishes that are also just not realistic. So I wanted this book to be something that my, you know, heartbroken clients can definitely use, but that can be used in just a really difficult stage of life, no matter what.
0: Well, I'm assuming the kale isn't a good idea because of how your body has to break it down. It's a lot of work to digest, especially raw kale.
1: Yeah exa- exactly. I mean you're in fight or flight and so you know right now your body is just not prioritizing blood flow and energy for your digestive system. It's prioritizing making sure that you are prepared to fight a saber tooth tiger and so your adrenaline, your cortisol are through the roof and that in its own way physiologically affects your appetite. I mean there's so many moving parts. Your gut health changes all of these things are changing. And this is why I I don't remember if you and I talked about this, but this is a huge piece of the puzzle behind this book, which is the concept of disenfranchised grief.
0: Let's talk about that. And I want to go back to the romantic rejection too Mm -hmm. for a second, but go to the disenfranchised grief.
1: Yeah. I mean, really that concept is just what's used to refer to forms of grief that our culture and society doesn't really honor like pet loss, job loss, breakups and divorces it's not the same as when you know some offices I would say more than more than not will give you some time off if you have a tragedy in the family with an immediate family member but they're probably not going to give you time off if you you know are going through a breakup but (laughs) commensurate to what's actually happening inside of you you deserve that same level of care and so I want to be able to fill in that gap if you know your your job isn't going to
0: Yeah, that's really interesting to think about if, yes, there's a loss in the family or something, you get bereavement (laughs) and it's paid time off to do that. But regardless of if you're granted that sort of thing, wherever you work, your profession, there's different things. But you yourself, knowing how you treat yourself during that time, because someone may blow it off of like, oh, well, I should treat myself that way. Sure, if someone passes away, but do I really need to treat myself this way because of a breakup? Mm -hmm. So you may have your own disenfranchised grief, not just
1: your company or society. Yeah. I think we almost sort of disconnect or disassociate from ourselves because we're told that it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And look, breakups are painful. The clients who come to me typically identify as more of an anxious attachment style. They have a lot of relationship trauma and they have a lot of stories that's getting all mixed up. So they have suffering, which is the stories. And we have to separate that from the pain. I have plenty of compatibility call I just book, you know, free 30-minute calls. Plenty of calls like that with people who aren't the right fit because they're just hurting and they don't need me to help them through the hurt. We are unfortunately or fortunately, we're we're built for that. I think women and women in particular, you know, we are more than capable of handling the grief and the pain. It doesn't feel good. I'm not saying it's fair, but we can handle it. What we can't handle is the suffering of the stories and the meaning that we're making of it and that feeling of stuckness. And that's who I should be working with and and should be, frankly, giving their time and money to me. But just someone who's just hurting because they miss that person and time will do its thing, then, you know, they don't need that extra support necessarily.
0: You mentioned if it's even if it's your idea or your desire to end the relationship, you may still experience the romantic rejection. I've never even heard romantic rejection. So I, obviously I can put two and two together and be like, oh, well, you know, you've been rejected by someone that you loved, but w- why is it, if it's your idea, do you still experience some of
1: that? So the work that I pull from specifically for this concept of romantic rejection is a woman named Dr. Helen Fisher. So you can read her work if you want to get some background for that. But she talks about basically what happens when someone has a perceived rejection in a breakup Particularly, I think her work was on younger people, but sort of what then, what the cascade of events is that follows in terms of their behavior, what's going on in their brain and their body. My spin on it is you can take all of that same information and apply that to someone who ended the relationship because they felt like they had no choice, but they still think that the problems in the relationship were their fault. So they thought they tried everything and they broke up with the person because it was futile, but it doesn't mean that they have organized their thoughts around why it happened, and often they're still internalizing a lot of the blame.
0: You mentioned detachment styles, and you know, they're secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. And is it the anxious style that often ends up with that narrative?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of overlap there. And that's usually who I end up working with because they have a story that they need to hustle for love. They're the ones saying, let's go to therapy. They're the ones, you know, trying to twist themselves into a pretzel to be who that person wants them to be. And they have a story that it all hinges on them and that it's their responsibility to fix it. And that's why whether they wanted the relationship to end or not, and usually they have literally tried everything. They come to me and they still feel incredibly defeated and broken because they still have a story that somehow it was their fault and that goes back, yeah, largely to their attachment style. I also think some of my clients are what some people agree is another category of attachment style, which is the anxious avoidant.
0: Studying attachment styles seems like it's a really good way to understand how you're showing up in relationships. How can people figure out their true attachment style if? Sometimes we don't even realize how we're acting in a relationship because I feel like that takes a lot of awareness of our behaviors and our patterns and we have to be super honest with
1: ourselves, right? That is such a good question. So what I like to do is refer people back to there's a book called Attached and it's a great jumping off point. Now in Attached, they don't really recognize the disorganized attachment as much, so that's something I've kind of studied separately. But because I'm I'm not a therapist and because, you know, I'm not technically an attachment expert, what I like to do is offer people tools with these quizzes where and and I wouldn't just go to an internet quiz, I would actually go to the one that's associated with the book Attached by Amir Levy Levine and Rachel Heller and I would go to their quiz and then answer it based off of that and answer it based off of your most recent relationship. But I think the best way that you will know if it's the right fit for you is when you think back on conflicts in your relationships start to investigate what it looked like when you get activated. What does it look like when you get activated? Is it something where you immediately go into more kind of avoidant techniques of creating physical space? These will be deactivation techniques, which is essentially... It's a way to create emotional space from someone. Sometimes that will be creating physical distance. Sometimes it'll be putting up a wall instead of a boundary, which is what we would really want to do instead. Sometimes it is just different forms of shutting down. Sometimes it's nodding along, but not engaging in the conversation. And then maybe you're someone who uses protest behavior. If you remember in when you've had conflict with a partner where you tend to look for reassurance from them or try to engage with them and when they don't kind of take the bait that you're looking for or you don't get more importantly you don't get the feeling you're looking for of okay, I'm safe. Everything's good now. Then you increase the volume of your attempts for reassurance. So, you know, you, that's where we can tend to quote, quote, get mean. And I had a story that I'm a mean person, but it's because I was using protest behavior to try to get reassurance. And when I couldn't get it, I was saying unkind things. This is something actually I learned back in my early twenties, but You're increasing the volume, you're getting louder, quote, sort of, maybe you're getting meaner, or maybe you're calling them a bunch of times, maybe you're showing up at their office. These are all protest behaviors that people who are anxiously attached will tend to do when they're not getting that feeling of safety and security. Now, you may also look back and say, sometimes I stonewall, sometimes I need to be with them all the time because I'm feeling really, I'm having these feelings of almost being insecure or sort of wanting them around. That might be a symptom of that disorganized attachment.
0: Well, first of all, I can't imagine you saying anything mean.
1: (laughs) I was when I was in my early 20s, I was mean. I really was. But again, looking back, it's because I didn't have the tools to understand why, why I took things so, so personally and what those underlying needs were and have had to do a lot of work on that. None of these tools are meant to shame or blame anyone anyone in the family, anyone that you've been in a relationship with, and certainly not yourself. There's simply a way of, it's, it's just a tool for understanding.
0: So would you say with all of the work that you've done, you're a secure attachment style now? All right, I want to tell you about something really awesome that Macy's is doing. You're gonna be doing some shopping anyway. Why not round up and give back? That's Macy's.com or in store. All right, so I've been saving on shopping this year by only buying new clothes when I've sold some clothes that I no longer wear. And what this has done is it's forced me to be super wise when I'm adding clothes back into my closet. I want to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And that's where Quince comes into play. You can go see for yourself all the awesome stuff they have. I'm literally looking on their website right now at this open-knit cover-up maxi dress that'll be great for the summer, 100% organic cotton, and it's $49.90. It could retail for $148, so that's 66% savings. And with warm weather here, you need to check out Quince. essential for women, 18 plus multivitamin every morning. I take them on an empty stomach, but sometimes if I forget, I may take them in the afternoon. It's really up to you when you want to take them. There's nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules. And what the delay release capsules does for us is it optimizes our body's absorption of these nutrients. It's gentle on the empty stomach. Like I said, I can take it first thing in the morning and I'm totally fine. And with a minty essence in every bottle, it actually makes taking your vitamins enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual is essential for women. 18 plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash four things. Start ritual or add essential for women 18 plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash four things for 25% off. So would you say with all of the work that you've done, you're a secure attachment style now?
1: Yes, absolutely. I would definitely say I like quote lean secure, which kind of the lingo around it. But yeah, I would definitely say I'm mostly secure. And then sometimes I have activations that come up and just depending on this situation, it may go anxious, it may go avoidant, but it really is about being able to zoom out and get that aerial view and know what's happening and work through it. You know, I I have a boyfriend. And so I think also a lot of it is being in a relationship with someone who is also mostly secure and is willing to have those conversations as well. So the people who wrote attached, I I think they believe that you cannot change your attachment style, mm-hmm. but I do disagree with that. I absolutely think that you can. I I mean, I know that you can. I've even seen it in my clients in a very short period of time. So Well, that's what
0: I was going to say. You're probably working with Women and you have been the last eight months because you saw it in yourselves. So now you're like, "Hey, I am hope right here, and this is what I did to get there, and I want to come alongside and support you and get you leaning
1: secure." Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. the goal. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then
0: you mentioned too that way you don't end up in another relationship because you got out of a divorce and then ended up in other relationships that were not good for you mm-hmm. because you hadn't done the work. I would assume you weren't leaning secure at the moment. And you certainly weren't seeking out partners that were leaning secure.
1: Definitely not. And I think for me, when I'm single, I tend to go into that anxious part of my brain a little bit more. And so um, before I was doing this work, and so I really had this mindset of, you know, kind of wanting a white knight, wanting someone to fix it and save it. And so I had to do the work to be a 100% okay with myself and with the possibility that I might meet some. And what's an important distinction there is it's not about having this negative view of I'm never going to meet someone. It's being okay with the possibility that I might not, but also believing that it is, that it is possible to meet someone. And there's, a, that's a that's sort of like the goal of that free space.
0: Oh, well, I think that's important too, because you want to remain open. And if you, have a, I'm never going to meet somebody, you're not, you're closing yourself off. It's almost like you're creating a block because there's energy everywhere. And that energy can be read and felt. I mean, think of so many people that are like, Oh, this woo woo stuff energy. No, you can walk into a room sometimes and you can feel whether or not it's with your partner, your kids, your coworkers, sometimes you can feel exactly what someone in there has brought something like, what is going on? What did I just walk into? Whether it's a negative or a positive energy, you're impacted. And that's, for me, the easiest way to recognize just how powerful energy can be and that we're sending messages all day long to people that we don't even realize. And so, yeah, that keeping that that hope that it is possible and you are open to the possibility of meeting someone, but also at the same time, you know, it's like two things can be true at the same time. Like you're working on being okay with being alone. I mean, that's where I have had to be. I I feel like I've had a little bit of a block because I'm not ready for that. But I think that's okay because I'm not ready for it. But so many people are like, Are you dating your date? And I'm like, No, but honestly, nobody I mean, it's not it's not like anybody's asked me to date or anything. So like but I think that's too, because I'm not putting out that energy that I'm ready for it. Cause quite honestly, I want to keep working on myself. Maybe I need to set up a session with you.
1: <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I think you're, no, I, I mean, I of course would love to chat more with you, but I, I feel like the key of what you just said is really the crux of the work that I do with clients. I mean, I use a whole set of, tools. We do a lot of brain repatterning from this chart from a woman named Pia Melody. That's one of the biggest tools I use is helping them repattern their thoughts through her tool in her book, which is called Facing Codependence. But the goal is to be able to hold multiple things as true at once in so many forms and iterations. That is the crux of this work is to be able to say I can miss them and also know that it wasn't the right relationship for me. I can have this negative emotion and also be hopeful. You know, if we can learn to hold these things and in this inclusive rather than exclusive way, then we're dealing with what is true because that is what's true. It's not true that this person was the worst person in the world or the best person in the world. And this is what we want to do. In the beginning of their relationship, we put them on a pedestal. They're perfect. They can do no wrong. And guess what? They're that same person on the other side you just chose not to see the things, see the red flags, the yellow flags. You chose not to see them. And then as your lens came off, as your blurry lens of, you know, putting them on a, on a pedestal so that you don't have to be alone because of your attachment and your wounds and all of that eventually the honeymoon stage ends, the, the the lens comes off and you see them clearly. And all these things that you've make, been making an excuse for, you now want to finger point and blame them and tell them that they're bad when they've been the same person the whole time. And guess what? You were doing the same thing. You were probably presenting a version of yourself that's not true. And then we get in this sticky runaround of trying to fix a dynamic that was always broken to begin with or wasn't working to begin with. And ultimately, you're just not compatible. So, you know, as our friend Leanne says, data over drama, like, was this compatible from the beginning? Or were you just glossing over all of these things?
0: What advice do you have for anybody listening that, you know, may have this realization? I mean, not in this moment, listening to the podcast, but I don't know, maybe, or they recently have come to the conclusion of like, oh, this is not working and I probably need to, it's time to address this and maybe let let go of that. But there is that shame of like, they never thought they would be that person because that's where I was. I never in a million years would have put me in the divorced category because when I got married, it was not an option and I stood firm in that. Like we were going to work through whatever it was and really... I mean, I feel like my husband was the same way. Ben was the same exact way. Divorce was just not going to ever be on the table. And we did a year of couples therapy before making the decision to go ahead and just move forward with a divorce. And that was after already being separated a year before that. I mean, the amount of therapy and work we put into it. um, But I think that's because we both felt so much shame. And we didn't want that to be our story, but we probably could have let it be our story a whole lot sooner than we did. But we were like, we didn't want to face that. And so I guess, long story short, I'm asking for you to speak to the someone that maybe is super scared to face that. But it's sort of like, if you heard the buffaloes, uh, you know, the analogy, like buffaloes run into the storm so they can get out of it faster. And cows turn and run the other direction, but the storm catches them. And then they end up in the storm longer. Mm. I feel as though we were cows and we ran away from the storm, but we spent a lot more time in it than necessary. And now this is such a serious topic. So I'm not saying, oh, go be a buffalo, just destroy your life or whatever. But do you you see what I'm saying? I feel like I'm trying to be sensitive to the fact of where people are and what they might be going through, but that they may need that encouragement that like it doesn't mean you're broken and nothing's wrong with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm doing a sweatshirt collaboration with this company with some phrases that helped me get through all of this. And one of them is there's nothing broken about you because there's not. And I I think I, I hear you and I actually love that analogy. I haven't heard of that. The, f- the first thing I would say, first of all, is there's nothing broken about you. There's nothing wrong with you you are a human and this stuff is not easy. And so the first thing I want you to do is offer yourself a lot of self-compassion. And one of the best ways to access true self-compassion is to see yourself as a human within greater humanity, because in our culture, we're so isolated we, we have such a tendency to see our problems and our situations as we're the only ones. And therefore, we put literally the weight of the world on our shoulders to fix it or get it, get it right or get it wrong or whatever that means. So first, I would say, offer yourself self-compassion and ask yourself, I'm going to give myself a couple reasons why I know I got married in the first place, why I was doing my best there, why I'm going to offer myself compassion and some reasons in how hard we tried. How do I how can I offer myself compassion that I really did my best at the time with the tools that I had and then offer yourself compassion for the fact that sometimes you do get to a point where it's either so confusing that you do need some support or you really do make a decision that you never anticipated that you were going to make. But if you, and this is the other piece, I was actually talking about this on TikTok on a live is if you're not sure if you should stay with someone or not, I do not have the answer, but here is a tool that can help you. So first you've got to start with the self-compassion. You have to start with recognizing you are a human doing your best, just like we're all doing our best. Secondly, what I would do is get really, really clear on what are your needs in a relationship, not your wants and desires. What are your needs and what are your kind of deal breaker boundaries? And the way that you'll know if it's a need or a deal breaker is if that goes unchecked, if you stay in a relationship where that need is not met or where that boundary is not respected, you are essentially participating in a form of self-betrayal. You know that if that need goes unmet, it is chipping away at who you fundamentally are. I'm not talking about compromise. We should all be compromising to an extent in relationships. I'm saying if the need goes unmet or if this boundary isn't respected, is it taking away a piece of me? And am I not on purpose and not because I'm bad or doing anything wrong, but am I sort of accidentally participating in a form of betraying myself. And if that's the case, then, you know, the question is to ask yourself, is it worth it? And most of the time it's not. And, but even questioning, like you said, something that is so normal. You said, you know, the divorce bucket, I think, or the divorce category, something like that. This is the way we're taught, you know, that if you're divorced, you're a pariah and that it means all of these things. So we have to really start to pick apart the words that we're saying and really ask ourselves what we mean by it and where it actually comes from. Because 99% of the time it's not coming from us.
0: What was the sweatshirt that you said you're making?
1: There's nothing broken about you.
0: Oh, there's nothing broken about you. Do you have any of the other things that you're going to do?
1: The other one is, it will get easier. And the other one is my favorite quote, which is, not all who wander are lost.
0: I love that. Well, and when you speak of self-compassion and taking care of yourself, that also makes me think of recipes for an aching heart because that is you tending to yourself and paying attention to you, would you say? And yes. so how does this this latest creation of yours, I call it a baby. I'm sure putting together a cookbook is a labor of love and it is another baby for you, which how many cookbooks do you have now? Three. This is number, baby number three. Uh-huh, that's right. <laughs> baby number three. And why was this important for you to create? at Macy's.com or in store. Again, that's Macy's.com. You're going to be doing some shopping anyway. Why not round up and give back? That's Macy's.com or in store. All right, if you want to look cute and feel comfortable at the same time when you're, you know, at a festival or a concert because it's festival and concert season right now, it's got to be all about the boots. And Takova's boots is where it's at. That is your stop before attending your next concert. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Amy here to talk about the incredible work being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in Hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. Why was this important for you to create?
1: So part of the reason I wanted to create recipes for an aching heart is to share. In the beginning of the book, you'll see kind of my lifestyle tips. I have a section called how to mend an aching heart. And these are the things that I did, the little routines and protocols and lifestyle changes that I made that helped me enormously. And then I also wanted to make the book because I wanted to share recipes that I feel like are just a next level of simple, affordable, accessible. There are a lot of personal stories that go with these recipes, but what is a recipe for an aching heart for me may not be one for you, but the point is to teach you some of these tools so that you can take any recipe and make it yours, make it a recipe for an aching heart. But as much as I would love to be able to work with every single woman who's going through a breakup or divorce and struggling, I can't do that. But this is something I can offer that is very tangible, very accessible, and very clear cut because we feel so out of control after a breakup or a divorce, so out of control. And this this is something you can control is how you feed yourself, how you feed your family, I actually have for the first time, 26 single serving recipes, which I've never done in any book because going from cooking for one to two can be really, really tough. And then throughout the book, you'll see at the bottom of the pages on various recipes that I I have scientific information for helping people understand what's actually going on in their bodies and their brains during grief and kind of how to tend to themselves accordingly. So you'll see recipes in there that are more for what I would say are like kind of the acceptance stage where you're near the end and you have time to put a little bit more effort and energy and you want to. And then there's some that my my goal for this book was for there to be quite a few recipes that you look at and you're like, that's so simple. Why did she even include it in here? It's not even really a recipe, but that's what someone needs.
0: Exactly. I was just thinking that. And I'm not someone that loves to go into the kitchen and cook, which is so bizarre because My dad was that way. My mom was that way. My sister, they all love to cook. And either it's by recipe or just by tastes themselves. They love creating. And I'm like, I did cook for my family though, like at times when Ben was here with the kids, but now we have Mm 50-50. And so I'm actually flipping through here and very thankful for the simple recipes and the single serving recipes because that's where I've really struggled on my weeks that I don't have the kids. It is me, I just sort of think, well, what in the world should I do? I don't even know. And I end up like going to pick something up or kind of grazing, which is there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't really feel taken care of and fulfilled. And so I'm thinking, wow, this might be a great way for me to do something for myself because cooking can be therapeutic. And even I, someone that doesn't love being in the kitchen knows that. So I feel like I could probably flip through here and find some things that I could make that are feel like I'm nourishing myself and taking care of myself, intending to myself. And I'll probably feel way more satisfied after sitting down and eating something like that than if I just, you know, picked and picked and picked and then felt like, well, I'm alone anyway and I don't want to mess up, who cares? Doesn't matter. I don't want to mess up the kitchen. I'll just go to bed. And then I wake up the next day, not in the best. Like I can tell when I'm not taking care of myself and all this to say when it's just me in the house alone, I'm not taking as good of care of myself because I'm not thinking about dinner time.
1: That is so real. It's so real. And most, I mean, most recipes on the internet are just not meant for, I mean, they're meant for six people, you know? And I know I have a lot of people with families in my community. And so they're going to want multi-serving recipes, but I wanted those multi-serving recipes to be recipes that are freezer friendly, really simple. I mean, I think my sweet potato um, shepherd's pie is like- the most complicated recipe in the book or something.
0: Well, I'm looking at this personal pizza thing in here. Yeah. I need to make that. That looks so good. I flipped through so many things and there was a chocolate chip walnut uh, zucchini muffin. Mm-hmm. I want that. Which you just brought over some squash bread. It was something. like a
1: double chocolate squash loaf. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was amazing.
0: And she brought it over with a jar of the granola butter. Oh, if y'all have never tried that, it's so good when when you handed it to me, you were like Sorry. I
1: I was like, sorry, you're welcome. I don't
0: know. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. You're welcome because sorry because you're going to be addicted to this, but you're welcome because it's amazing. There's salmon. There's ooh crispy broccoli cheddar tacos. Yes. I mean, sign me up for basically everything that's in here, but I do love at the beginning of the book too, you mentioned things that you implemented into your life that were part of, you taking care of you, not just the food component. And one of the things on page 17 is practice being a no person.
1: Yeah. Does that resonate with you, Amy?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what did that look like for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Practice being a no person. And this really goes back to the, to the concept of disenfranchised grief and And grief in general, you look out the window and the world is passing by and you are swimming in molasses and everything is different for you. Everything's harder. The way I describe it often as my clients come to me on fire, their whole body is on fire, their brain's on fire. Everything is hard. Someone sends them a song to be well-meaning and it derails their whole day. They have to pull over on the side of the road to cry. That happened to me. And so the reason that I say that is because I really want people to understand that you deserve to be in a space of saying no and clearing out anything that is not an absolute mandatory obligation for as long as you need. You know, there isn't some unwritten rule that because it's a it's a heartbreak and not some other form of grief or tragedy that you have to just continue about your life as normal. So. I really, really encourage my clients to streamline their lives as much as possible.
0: One of the quotes you have pulled next to practice being a no person is you said, my desire for healing outweighed my resistance to disappoint or upset someone by creating a boundary. Mm. (laughs) Got goosebumps reading that. And then on the page before, on page 16, just like you were saying, you have to encourage your clients to do it It literally says back to the basics. Mm -hmm. It's probably just stripping things down to, yeah, simplify life as much as possible. I mean, you know, you mentioned a well-meaning friend sending a song, just when someone is grieving the loss of a relationship or something like that, and friends want to come alongside and support, what is a good way to do that? Or if it comes to food, like maybe even buying them this book would be something really sweet and special, but if you wanted to make a meal for someone that's grieving or you want to send them something, what would you recommend?
1: You know, everyone is well-intentioned and they they want, they want just want to be helpful, but some of those things definitely can accidentally backfire. So the first thing is I would recognize that most of the time people just want someone to listen to them and to validate their experience rather than trying to be solution-oriented And what I would avoid saying is, you know, things like the grass is greener. There's someone else out there for you. These kind of just, again, recognizing that that person is so not in that place. They're not they don't care. They're not interested. And that just makes it worse. So I would try to really be in the pain with them so that they're not alone but that their pain is acknowledged and checking in with them and asking things like how is today for you how is the how how was the afternoon for you rather than just how are you doing in general because that's a really overwhelming question and it almost makes you feel like i you really don't want me to get into how i'm actually doing and another thing that's really important is boundaries on both sides so finding a friend who you can reach out to and say hey really what i need right now is I'm scared to be alone sometimes. It's really hard for me to be alone. I want someone who I can just talk to, who I can just hold space, who can hold space with me. But what is realistic for you and can we come up with a schedule that works for both of us so that you don't feel taken advantage of, but I can look forward to that support? So for example, spending the night with a friend or family member once a week can be literally it can be what gets you through the week is okay on Friday, I get a sleepover with my friend and I'm not going to be alone on a Friday and I can get through the week because I know that, but I'm also not going to take advantage of my friend's kindness and come and ask to stay for three nights a week or stay sporadically. Or, you know, your friend can say, Hey, I put my kids down at eight and I can chat from eight to nine. And then that's, that's my time to chat. And so again, you can look forward to eight to nine at night but your friend isn't feeling like they're being really depleted. And then certainly when it comes to food, I would say freezer-friendly things. Try to avoid things that are really acidic or spicy or have a lot of raw vegetables in them. Those can all be difficult to digest. This is the time for like homemade comfort foods. So foods that maybe have, you know, obviously take into consideration dietary preferences or intolerances that they have. But this is the time to make something that maybe does have a little bit of cheese and some, you know, carbs and that kind of thing. But you'll see what I like to do in the book is I sneak a lot of cooked veggies into stuff. So you're still getting some of the micronutrients and the fiber, but your digestion is not having to work over time and it's not getting all twisted and tangled. And again, something that maybe isn't going to cause acid reflux when they may be more prone to that. And that's why
0: that pizza situation looks so good to me is because it looked like there was like really finely chopped up veggies worked in there
1: yeah i think that one is like pesto yeah Mm -hmm. because you know tomatoes can be really acidic and so i wanted to offer that as a topping that might appeal to someone more
0: oh and then i just saw a three ingredient biscuit because biscuits seem intimidating to make but if you tell me it's three ingredients
1: okay exactly and funny funnily enough the biscuit dough is the same dough as the pizza dough so it's just super simple. So I like to reuse it and reuse that. And it's actually also the same dough that I use to make my single serving cinnamon roll. So it's just a lot easier and a lot healthier, you know, and you can look forward to it. You can use it to make bagels in the air fryer. I've used it to make like monkey bread before. Ooh. Dairy free Chesapeake crab dip. Yeah. So that's an example of a recipe that is one for me, is a recipe for an aching heart for me because I grew up in Baltimore. So that's very nostalgic for me. But, you know, someone might be like, I don't get it at all. But that's not really the point. The point is, if it resonates with you, great. But if not, you can come up. Okay,
0: I found my comfort meal. What? I found it. Tell me. Sweet potato tomato soup. (gasps) Yay. Because that looks so good. And when you think about it, I grew up eating grilled cheese dipped in tomato soup. And so that's what I would do here. I would make this sweet potato, tomato soup, and then I do a little grilled cheese on the side and dip it in there.
1: So I actually have in the single serving recipes, a grilled cheese recipe. That's my favorite grilled cheese. I think I talk about it on one of those two pages. I forget. I cross-reference it somewhere, but you can make the single serving grilled cheese just because that doesn't really keep you know, well in multiples and then make the soup. And I will say the tomato soup and then the Greek chicken and lemon soup probably are some of the warmer items that I make the most because they freeze.
0: Well, I'm sure we're making people hungry.
1: (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Talking about
0: this. So and it's exciting because this cookbook came out on Tuesday. So it's officially been in the world for two days and I'll link it in the show notes and if you just want to search for it yourself it's recipes for an aching heart and then Laura Lee where can people find you online
1: yeah absolutely so you can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Laura Lee balanced or you can find me on my website at llbalanced.com.
0: yeah and that has everything there even your other cookbooks which are amazing there is a vegan salad dressing situation from one of your cookbooks. I can't remember. Is which. it the Caesar
1: that you? Oh, eat? yes.
0: That's it. A vegan Caesar. Yeah. That, oh, it is so good. You need to buy the whichever cookbook that is alone. And then there's the black bean brownies with the ganache. That is so good. It's like with maple syrup. Yeah, made, exactly. Which I mean, black bean brownies. I know some people might be like, "Lah, I would never do that to my brownies. But these are so good. You don't know. And I don't think your purpose behind it is to try to like make people, you know, oh, you can't have a traditional brownie. You don't think that way at all. But if you think about it, it's a way of working in different nutrients into your food without having it, you know, having to sit there and eat some beans.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Kind of going back just to what we said in the beginning which is it's really about okay it's not about demonizing any food it's about is there a nutritionally supportive option that most of the time i can choose and feel like i'm still getting what i was craving and also i just learned early on that it's not realistic to ask people to eat a squash bread or a black bean brownie if i don't have enough goodness in it you know some sweet and some chocolate i actually even told you i thought maybe the squash bread is like a little too healthy um but obviously that's well, subjective.
0: No, it was really good. Yeah. And then yes, you dip it in some of that granola butter and yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you're welcome. <laughs> that's that's a perfect statement for that. Well, I think you are a huge blessing to so many people and you're a gift and you're full of wisdom and insight and Again, you wouldn't be here now if you hadn't gone through some of the stuff that you went through. So I hope people look at you and know that if they're going through a hard time right now, that there is another side to things and that if you are willing to put in the work and persevere and get to the other side, it can be pretty beautiful.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks so much for having me. I always love chatting with you.
0: Of course. I can't wait to have a we, you, me, Leanne, girls dinner. Probably true food.
1: Yes, exactly. We got to get you your salad. <laughs>
0: yes, we got to get uh get that on our calendar. So we'll be doing that soon. But recipes for an aching heart, y'all check it out. And then, yes, if you would like to book a call with Loralee, she said she does those and maybe she's a good fit for you, maybe not. And that's what I love about you too. It's like you'll recognize like, hey, I really don't think that you need me. I think this is really what you have going on. And that just shows your heart and that you really do just want to serve others and be the best fit for them.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. Ah, summer. The best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable.